Good morning. This is Tom Dunlap from the Black Letter Podcast, and you're listening to our Monday Minutes. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about responding to a 2D likelihood of confusion rejection by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And this is important because likelihood of confusion is the single biggest thing that brand owners, trademark owners, corporate counsel, everybody runs into when it comes to trademarks. What is likelihood of confusion? Likelihood of confusion boils down to one thing, one statement, really, 13 fact, but it boils down to one statement in this case, in Ray DuPont, Nemours. And the statement is, is there a reasonable likelihood of confusion as to the source or origin of goods in the relevant marketplace? So in other words, colloquially, when looking at two trademarks, trademark one and trademark two, if the goods and services are similar and the brands are similar, would a consumer say, huh, I think that this thing that I'm buying, this good or service that I'm buying, this product from trademark number one could be derived from the same source as trademark number two, because the names are so similar and the products are so similar. And I'm a consumer in the same marketplace. Give an example. Take Nike, for example. Nike sells shoes, socks, a whole bunch of clothing, sports stuff. Another company comes along and they spell Nike N-Y-K-E. And okay, it's spelled differently, but that's still confusing to the trademark office because the sounder connotation is the same, consumer impression is the same. But this new NYKE company is like, we're not going to sell shoes or socks, which is what Nike sells. We're going to sell lacrosse sticks. And Nike doesn't make a lacrosse stick. Well, still got a problem. The trademark office is going to say, those are the same consumers. It's sporting goods equipment. And we're going to, consumers are going to assume that NYKE, even though it's spelled differently, is the same company as NIKE. Likelihood of confusion. That's what it boils down to. What I'm going to talk about briefly is how to deal with likelihood of confusion. There are ways around likelihood of confusion rejections from the trademark office, and there are ways around responding to cease and desist letters, and there are ways to send cease and desist letters for people who are infringing on your mark with a confusingly similar mark. But let's talk about the two main factors in the DuPont test. First, the similarity or dissimilarity of their marks in their entireties as to appearance, sound, connotation, and commercial impression. It's a lot of stuff. Break it down real quickly. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, probably a duck. If you look at the two marks and you think that they might be related just based on how similar they are, if you hear the two marks spoken and you think they might be similar based on the way they sound, then possibly they're confusing. And then how related are the goods? So if I come in and I create a brand that sells something like, I don't know, apples and the other companies selling clothing and sporting goods. The dissimilarity of the goods and services is so different that I can probably get away with getting a trademark for Nike and Apples while you have a trademark for Nike and sporting goods. Now, there's an exception. Of course, Nike's a famous brand and famous brands get special protection. So that means even though the trademark for Nike only covers sporting goods and equipment and shoes, I still can't get my trademark in Apples because it's a famous brand. What it boils down to is that trademark likelihood of confusion test is complicated. It's a good idea to talk to an experienced trademark lawyer, not maybe just your corporate counsel or uh, somebody who's read a little bit about trademarks. There's a lot of factors and things that go into it. Kind of, you really only know about from experience, from disputes with other brand owners. So some other factors that might be relevant just to think about in the back of your head when you do your own analysis. So what is the similarity 
in the two marks that are being compared of established likely to continue trade channels? What are the conditions under which buyers make sales? In other words, is it an impulse buy or is it a careful, sophisticated purchasing process? Which means that the marks could possibly be more similar because consumers are kind of smarter or more discerning in their purchasing. The number and nature of similar marks. So is there a huge number of other marks that are using similar sounding names to the two marks in dispute? That weakens both marks, frankly, but it also allows perhaps both marks to exist. And then finally, is there a consent agreement between the two owners of the mark? And why is this a factor? Because you're thinking, well, if somebody consented to let me use their, a mark that's similar to theirs, then I can use it and I can file a trademark with the USPTO. Well, you may be able to use it, but the USPTO may reject your consent agreement if it feels that consumers would still be confused. That if your consent agreement, even though they're allowing you to file the mark and they're saying, we consent to your use, if the consent agreement uh, doesn't differentiate the goods and services enough, the USPTO may still reject it. Boils down to talk to a smart attorney about this stuff. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig has filed uh, more trademarks in 2018 than any other law firm in 2019 than any other law firm in the United States, I think. Uh, we're leading that, that race there and tons of experience with this issue. Either way, good luck with this. Thanks for joining me for the Black Letter Monday Morning Minute.